Welcome to Funding the Dream, a Game Whisperer podcast for Kickstarters. I'm Richard Bliss, the host, and this is episode 35. And I am joined today by uh, a good friend and someone who is a, uh, a legend in the game industry, Richard Borg. Richard, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for the compliment. Legend? Legend. I'm telling you, a legend. I can go just about anywhere. Anybody in the game space, if I say Richard Borg... Uh, pretty much everybody's heard about you. you know, oh, I'm, no, you've right. been doing this a long time. How long have you been doing uh, board game design and inventions? Uh, a long time. Okay. Yeah. You no, have. It's been, we actually licensed our first game in about 1985. 1985. So. Let's see. You know, for some of our listeners, they weren't alive back then. So I know. That, isn't that terrible? <laughs> yeah. So that is a long time. That has been 20... Seven years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And prior to and prior to that, I worked for J.C. Penney's for twenty five years. So, hey, a long that's been a long time. Your first game yeah. uh, is kind of legendary by now. Everybody knows, but uh, let's just tell our listeners your first game to for you to license. Which one was that? The first game that we actually created was one we self published, and it was called Doubters Dice, and we sold that to. Uh, Milton Bradley at the time, and they changed the name to Liars Dice because they owned the, they owned that uh, uh, title, Liars Dice. They owned that, and uh, so they changed it to Liars Dice, and it had success here in the United States for about two and a half, three years, and then it went out of publication, and then it went over to Germany, and it was Germany over in Germany. The FX Schmidt Company did that as bluff and it won game of the year in 93 so 85 we sold uh we licensed our first product that was liar's dice to hasbro well to milton bradley at the time and then it went to germany in 93 and won the game of the year as bluff in germany and that is when your fortunes as a game designer turned right right actually that's that gave me an opportunity to um stop Working for the J.C. Penney Company in '93, we pulled our roots out of the Chicago, you know, Illinois area, and uh, moved to Florida, which was great because that was where my family had, my mom and dad had retired down to Florida in Orlando area, and my brother had already moved here, and my two sisters had already moved here, so. It kind of became a family reunion down in Florida for us, also. Now, are you a, we, your brothers, your sisters? Are you a family of game players? Is there is game yeah, playing? Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, yeah. We pretty much play games. Are you know back even before I was designing games and making money at it. I I was designing games so my brothers and sisters could play. Oh so really? We, yeah, we had a lot of little games that we. Or it took variations of games. I think everybody invented their own version of Monopoly. I think everybody invented their own version of Sorry and things like that. I took some popular games like that, and we made our own game boards and some modified some rules and stuff, and we played with that. I'm the oldest of uh, my brothers next, and my two sisters follow that. And so, you know, and I actually have one sister that's 17 years younger than I am, so... Even when I was first married, my my youngest sisters was only like four or five years old. So it was great because we had we had we played games and stuff like little kids games still with her. 
So now, now you're an adult, right? And, really? Yeah. And <laughs> and you you've been doing this. I'm mat- I think that's a, an adult and maturity is two different I, things, right? And okay. I chose my words carefully. I chose my words carefully. <laughs> what does your family think now, after all these years, that you've been able to turn this game thing into a living? Okay, I'll, I'll tell you a good story. And this is a, actually a pretty funny story. I was working for the JCPenney company, and um, we licensed our – well, actually, we licensed a number – a couple games. Um, but um, Sandy's family, my wife's family, lived in Paris, Illinois, which is a real small town. Um, it's a capital – it's a county seat of the, of the county, but – it's a small town, typical square, a hardware store on one corner, two banks, you know, barbershop, jewelry, you know, things. The, the square was the whole thing. And Sandy's dad and mom just really didn't understand um, me designing games, you know, about playing games. And at that time, I was playing with a lot of toy soldiers and stuff like that, which, you know, that's kind of reflected in what I do now. Um, but back to the subject, um, I... I actually was, we sold, the, we sold the Doubter's Dice and it became Liar's Dice. And um, as I said, Mr. Whitaker always was giving me a hard time, like, what are you doing, you know? <laughs> and he was a, he's a principal. He was the principal of the um, junior high in uh, Paris. Anyway, uh, it got, Liar's Dice actually got to a hardware store that, you know, back in small towns, they actually sold games and toys and stuff at the hardware store and for Christmas, and here's Liar's Dice. And my name is on the back of the box. And the next, we went there, um, like, at a Christmas time, and, and Sandy's dad goes, did you know your game is at, at the local hardware store? And I said, well, that's great. And so all of a sudden the attitude <laughs> of that family changed dramatically, and I think that's kind of a... a Suddenly you were legitimate. Uh, yeah, I was that that's true. I wasn't a guy that you know, I wasn't Sandy's husband that just played with little toy soldiers <laughs> and invented games and, and you know, wasn't gonna make anything of my life except working for JC Penney's to somebody that oh geez, here because Sandy's dad said, Well, I've taken everybody, all my fishing buddies in and, and, and showed them that his, here's the game here, right here. This is my this is my son in law right here. This is my son in law. How proud how proud is that? You had something in the hardware store that your uh, that your father in law could show off. That's right. And so I, I his attitude I think changed quite a bit and, and you know, that's that's I'm pretty lucky that, that happened, but it's it is kind of a funny story that, you know, that that people's attitudes change, you know, dramatically when you can make a little bit of money or you do have a product that's out in the mass market and stuff, and people see that. So You know, I, I saw that just happen uh, when I was at Spiel in October. Uh, uh-huh. I've been there three years now, and uh, I had I have colleagues, work companions, friends who live in Germany and mm-hmm. who actually only live you know, 30 minutes from Essen. And I, I kept coming over every year, you know, three years in a row, and they, you know, they kind of tolerated and they kind of humored me and that, oh, you know, Americans over here to go to this board game thing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, what happened this last spiel is that Lawrence O'Brien, who's been on my show, a friend of mine from London and I, were at spiel. We were sitting in the Lego 
uh, booth playing their mm-hmm. latest heroic uh, game, mm-hmm. and German television came by <laughs> and filmed. Now, we didn't speak German, so they couldn't interview us, but they promised us that we would be in the B-roll somewhere, that we would be the clip. And so that was kind of fun. You know, the camera went by, and you know, I'll never pass up an opportunity to get on camera. Well, that night, it showed up on the news, the local news channel, and right. the opening, as the woman is talking about Spiel at Essen, there am I and Lawrence sitting behind her playing uh, as she's talking. So it was, I then, you know, it was on the web. I sent it a link to my friends, and suddenly all my friends in Germany sent me back. And, you, and you know, it was kind of ironic because here I'm teaching them how to play games like Ticket to Ride. I brought Ticket to Ride and taught my German friends how to play it. <laughs> And I brought two copies, the European copy or the U.S. copy. Well, they wanted to play with the U.S. version because they didn't know the U.S. version. And it was really interesting to hear them, heavy uh, German accents, you know, Atlanta and um, <laughs> some of these other cities that they weren't quite as familiar with um, on right, the Ticket to Ride. Right. And, so, and then we played, a, I taught them how to play the Resistance. And it was just, they suddenly realized that it wasn't just this little game thing I was doing, that this was actually a pretty big deal. And so then the wife of, uh, contacted me and said, hey, can we, can we go with you next year? Are, are we allowed to go? <laughs> so, yeah, kind of a similar. Oh, that's great. Yep, kind of you a similar. You converted people. <laughs> I converted some Germans to board games, uh, which. Uh, <laughs> which is kind of strange. Yes, I thought everybody in Germany played board games. I did, too. <laughs> uh, but the, the group that I dealt with hadn't, and I introduced them all to these board game ideas. Well, you know, that this, this brings up an interesting topic for me, that you have been doing this for so long, that what preconceived or what con- perceptions, how have those changed around playing board games and the whole concept of games and playing board games? Because, you know, like you said, back when in an earlier time, board games weren't taken serious. Is that changing? Are people starting to see a changing attitude about um, about how you approach board games and that they've kind of taken on a different role in society? What do you think? Um, you know, uh, I, think because of, I think because of the board game industry in Germany and the game of the year and, and things like that, I think the U.S. market um, still is lagging behind as far as people's perception of board games here in the States versus over, over in Europe. But I think I think um, it's changing here in the states. I mean, there's the, with the introduction of so many good, um, you know, good and challenging um, games that come over from um, Europe. That the U.S. market is is you know potentially growing and and getting bigger. Um, I think perception-wise, um, your mask market companies like a Hasbro and Pressman Toy or Mattel and stuff still. Still is entrenched in the old thing that we gotta you gotta get you know games out there that are in that twenty dollar price range and stuff and, and they haven't jumped into the euro market where you can pay you know some pretty good money as you know right for, you know, for, for, a bo- for a board game over in Germany um, yep. and that's just that's just not because they're importing those games it's because the cost of those games is much more expensive to produce than it is. You know, it's not the it's not the customs or import prices or the shipping or anything that's causing that. It's you pay for the same amount of money over there as you do here. So, 
but the price, I think price, well, and you know, but a Hasbro and Mattel and Pressman and Fundex and all those companies here in the United States um, only have outlets like Toys R Us and Walmart and Kmart and Target. Well, so is there, that's probably about it that they have to sell to Walgreens and stuff. So the price points and stuff are, you know, are kind of lower on games, so you don't get some of the quality that you that you do from a year old game. Do you see, um, in your capacity, you're a pro- prolific game designer. You uh, you create a lot of games, right? Mm-hmm. Have you see, uh, seen recently? Is there is there something that's hot right now that's interesting that people are really wanting to see that's kind of drawing more designers into that you're you're kind of experimenting with? Where, where do you see the d- board games you know, I, go? I, My board, well, as far as board games and stuff goes, the board game industry is changing dramatically because now you can play a board game on, you know, basically either online or on your iPad or your phone or whatever. So it definitely is changing. Um, I'm not that guy that does apps or I'm not that guy that can do that kind of stuff. I don't know how to do that. I can create a board game, but I can't, or a card game or whatever, but I'm not the guy that does the the applications for the iPad or iPhone or any okay. of those uh, those things and I think that's that's really where the the market is right now I mean Days of Wonder has a a, a product the Memoir 44 product and I'm not trying to just plug them but the you know they have a that Memoir 44 has been out for a number of years and uh, just last year they launched their Memoir 44 online and I'm going to say there's probably as many people playing Memoir 44 online, if not more, than face-to-face anymore. Um, it's just it's just too easy to go online and play Memoir 44 and find a, a partner, whether it's midnight or 6 o'clock in the morning. You can go and find somebody to play, and, play and, a game. And I, I totally agree with that. Memoir 44, one of my all, all-time favorite games. Uh, absolutely love it. And, yeah, I've played 1,600 times online. <laughs> so... Yeah. So uh, you're 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 the guy that's always online. So well, you can always you're, you're always there. And, and, I mean, and, and and Ticket to Ride is even bigger. I is. mean, Ticket to Ride is even bigger than Memoir Forty Four. Memoir Forty Four is still a hobby type market war game type quote war game, and but Ticket to Ride is you know for everybody, anybody, everybody. <laughs> Yeah, it is, and it's it's measured in the tens of thousands of uh, mm-hmm. players on there, and the, I think there's some who have played it tens of thousands of times. It's uh, <laughs> you know, ticket to ride certainly. And so the question is, is that all right? What do you think? Are these are these digital games online on the iPad, the app games? Are they are they stealing players away from the traditional board games? Are they bringing new players in? Do you see any? Do you have any indication or any insights into that? Um, well, I guess I, I relate, I can only relate from Memoir 44 is that if a person can go online, they can, I, I think it's, I think you can go and take a look and download the game on Steam, I believe is yep, the name of the, you can, you can go and download it there and, and give it a play and stuff. Um, actually you can just go to a Days of Wonder site and, and download the, the game and, and they give you a number of free plays also there. But, uh, you know, there was lots and lots of people that downloaded that game when it went up on Steam. Um, that had and, never seen it uh, before. That never, never saw it before. And, 
you know, probably went out. I mean, do you need to buy the board game? No, you really don't. But a lot of those people, you know, probably went out and bought the board game because the when that when that actually happened in that quarter, I think Days of Wonder saw that the the sales of the board game increased dramatically too. So, I mean, I think, you know, I don't know whether or not this you're losing players or gaining players. I, I, you know, I, I think as a whole, I think the the board game industry is gaining players because, as you just related your your story about the trends in Germany, you know, they never really probably played board games, and here you took them a game. They said, "Hey, this is fun. Now can I go? <laughs> can I right. see and see what other things? I, you know, the, this was a good entertainment, and it's good, good entertainment value for the money. So it really is. And let's talk as we end the show. Let's talk about money a little bit. Not necessarily one of your uh, one of your expert areas of expertise, but Kickstarter. Yes, right. Kickstarter's doing some crazy things out there. What, from your perception and perspective, what have you seen?" the impact that Kickstarter's had? I, I'm thinking that Kickstarter is going to give the opportunity to a lot of um, new people, new game authors coming onto the market, and it gives you a chance to go ahead and, and you know, finance some of their, some of their projects. Um, you know, I have to, I usually go and knock on doors and, until I find somebody to buy a game. Um, this way, they can put it on Kickstarter and talk about the premise of their idea, get a little more information about it, and put it out there and get from supporters and actually see it happen. Um, you know, my business card is uh, my business is called Action Designs. Um, uh, the byline of my business card says, "Ideas without action remain dreams." Kickstarter lets people do the action so they're no longer dreams. They become actually can become reality. So I think that's a that's a that's gonna be a, a big boon to not only the game industry but other you know other I think Kickstarter, as you were explaining, is actually started for another purpose. It wasn't just for games, right? No, oh, it was started for the uh, the film and the music industry, which still makes up the right. bulk. But yeah. uh, the board game space has certainly benefited it and has done things. You know, on this show, we've talked about it. The board game spa- space has done things that Kickstarter didn't even imagine. People run ads for their Kickstarter campaigns, and Kickstarter themselves was never aware that people actually did that until the board game space <coughs> came along and did that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the concept of stretch goals. You know, if we hit our funding level, here are some additional goals. That was a new concept. So the board game has continued to innovate Kickstarter themselves, and so it's been very exciting to see that. I, right. I, think, I think I agree with you that, um, that there's a lot of game designers like yourself. Richard, just give me a round number to the nearest hundred. How many game ideas do you have just kind of sitting around that haven't made it to the light of day? Well, um, I can tell you that I have a half of my attic is filled with white boxes that never sold. <laughs> and they didn't sell because do you do you think they didn't sell because they were a bad idea? Um sometimes sometimes they're they're good games but they just don't have the they're not the right they're not the right timing, they weren't with the right company, they you know, some things you know, I I showed <laughs> 
I, I was showing space games over in Germany, you know, three years before Settlers in Space or whatever that game was called came out. And, you know, then there was four or five space games. And I'm going, what the heck? I was three years early. Right, <laughs> you know? right. So, and that happens. I mean, sometimes you're ahead of the ahead of the curve. And, and um, but, no, you know, it's just, it, it, it just was the wrong timing or the wrong wrong companies or the wrong theme. I mean, right. a lot of times theme is the problem. So I'm heavy have, into theme when I design a game. So, Well, what we have then is the opportunity, I guess, what we're saying here is Kickstarter to free up all those white boxes that you have in your attic. Right? <laughs> some. To, to give them well, a, some. 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 All right. Some of them are bad ideas. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> no. I've never seen a bad idea come from you yet. Well, that's it. See? That's right. All Those right. companies picked right. <laughs> they picked right. Well, we're out of time. Richard, thank you so much for spending some time kind of chatting and talking about your perspectives on the industry. Uh, it's always illuminating your um, your experience and kind of you've been doing it for a good while, and, and, I, and I really appreciate you taking the time with us. I appreciate your time. Thank you. You're welcome. You've been listening to Funding the Dream, a Game Whisperer podcast for Kickstarters. I'm Richard Bliss, and our guest has been Richard Borg. Uh, game designer extraordinaire, and he has joined us and kind of talked about his perspective on the industry. Thank you for listening. Hopefully you've been inspired. You've heard something that uh, might excite you a little bit to go out and fund your dream because, as Richard just said, a dream without action is still an idea without action is just a dream. And let's have you see your dreams come to be realized. Thank you for listening. Take care.